Almighty God, as I always pray before I preach, help me to pray, help me to preach with the earnestness that is necessary, rightly, to proclaim your written word. May I be earnest. Lord, may I not be an actor, but may I be full of the Holy Ghost, so that, Lord, my words will come with convicting power, with life-changing power, with comforting power, under the anointing and infilling of the Holy Spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a striking text, isn't it? This is a passage that teaches us that common stories about the birth of Christ that we are shown on TV and other places are not accurate. Because it isn't like in that beautiful movie, otherwise wonderful movie, The Nativity Story, where they come, the shepherds come, and then they go racing out of Bethlehem to get to Egypt, being warned. It's not that way at all. In fact, it may have been as much as two years after the birth of Christ that the wise men came to see Jesus and his mother in the house. And the reason we say that is that Herod, that wonderful fellow, uh, a crazy, megalomaniacal man uh, who was paranoid and murdered his own sons in his paranoia, had all of the baby boys that had been born in Bethlehem over the past two years murdered. So it's important to understand that there's something that happens between the birth of Jesus and the coming of the wise men. And that's this. Jesus, when he was eight days old, in keeping with God's law, is named as he is circumcised. And circumcision is a private matter, generally done in a home, and that's when the baby receives his name. So he's, he's named Jesus, the name that they were instructed to call him uh, when his mother conceived him by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, which is simply the same word as Joshua in the Old Testament, uh, which means Yahweh is salvation. And so after that, there was yet another ritual that needed to be performed. In the case of the birth of a baby boy, it had to be accomplished when he, when his, he was 40 days old. And so this is what's happening. It's 40 days after the birth of Jesus, and they've gone up to the temple to do the things that are required in God's law uh, for the redemption of the firstborn son. And there they are, 40 days after his birth, they are in the temple, and God directs this old man, this old priest, we think he's a priest, Simeon, has been told by God that he will see the Messiah of Israel before he dies. So, he gets a death notice. That is the consolation of Israel. That is the Messiah of Israel. And that's what we read there. And so he goes in there. We read at the top of page 1592. Parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Can you praise God if you're about to die? I, I can. 
because I know whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And so Simeon is finally going to be released from, what did someone call it? This veil of tears? I'm going to go home. I remember there was an elder in my congregation in Alexandria uh, who was rushed to the hospital. And I went down there. And he was in the back room in the ER. And I said to him, Ham, how do you want me to pray? You know what he said to me? Bob, I want to go home. What did he mean? He had been crippled because he had no feeling in his feet. He had broken his ankle and his foot, his right foot had turned underneath. So he walked on his ankle. And he had lived in difficulty in a wheelchair for quite a long time. And it was very difficult for him to get out. And so when he said, Bob, I want to go home, I knew what he wanted me to pray. And so I prayed that the Lord would take him. And sure enough, the Lord took him and he died in 2010. And so Simeon is happy to go home because Simeon, like my friend Ham, knew where he was going. And he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. Wow, what does it mean to be dismissed in peace? Go ahead and die. Can death be a blessing? Oh yes, it's a blessing. There's something better than death, and that is for the Lord to return before we die, in which case we take these mortal bodies and we put on immortality over them without ever dying. But with my my friend Ham, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and one day when the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will be caught up to join them as they meet the Lord in the air. So Simeon is looking forward to this and he says, dismiss your servant. Dismiss your servant. I became persuaded many years ago that I could never retire. Only God could retire me. And I'm grateful that when I was forced to retire in 2015, God gave me another chance And that this is the third church I've preached in on a regular basis since retiring in 2015. God has not yet dismissed me. But I'm looking forward to being dismissed. But not to a wheelchair. I'm looking forward to leaving this old body with all of its aches and pains behind. And, uh, and that is a great thing. It's a blessing. And then he says here in verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And notice what he says, because it must have been troubling. Verse 32, A light for revelation to the Gentiles. You've got to understand that in that day, Gentiles generally were regarded guarded as dogs. Wow. And so... This is an amazing truth. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And that's a, a thing we get in the book of Acts, that the gospel comes first in Jerusalem, then in all Judea, and then into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Simeon, this man with the gift of prophecy, is prophesying that 
the Messiah is going to be a Messiah for the Gentiles, just as Isaiah had prophesied. And then he says, and for glory to your people Israel. Now notice the response. I've often uh, struck there with, uh, with Jesus' uh, father and mother. And remember that Joseph is Jesus' legal father. He's not his adopted father. He's his legal father. And Mary is his actual, literal, biological mother. He had no human father uh, biologically. And they marvel at what's said about him. See, it's like this. We look at Bible characters and we think, what, they didn't understand this? Joseph had had a dream that had revealed to him that Mary was going to be, that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and she was going to give birth uh, to a son and he was an heir of the promise of David and Mary herself had been told it. Have you ever wondered how stupid people are in the Gospels? They really are stupid. But you know what? Truth is caught and not taught. And it's just this. They've heard this They dreamed it. They had revelation even from the archangel Gabriel himself. And yet they just seemed to be bewildered. Really? And his child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon, and look at this blessing. I don't know if you want a blessing like this or not. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. In other words, Jesus is going to be the great divider in history. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats. He's going to divide the true Israel of God from those who are merely only outwardly descendants of Abraham. Because the whole Middle East basically is made up of people who are descended from Abraham. So he's going to divide the true Israel of God. And notice, he says, the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel. And then he says, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now think of that, verse 35, as we read the next sentence. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Before we get to the sword piercing Mary's heart, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and read these words. And this is, this, this is one aspect of the sword that Simeon is speaking about. And he tells us this on page 1866. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do you see how that fits in what Simeon has said to Mary? You see, Jesus is the great divider. Jesus is the one that's going to reveal the inner person. Jesus is the one that's going to open up hearts. And the way he's going to open up hearts is, first of all, Jesus is the Word of God. That's the first thing we need to remember. Secondly, the Bible is the Word of God. 
And thirdly, as the Bible's message is proclaimed, that's the Word of God. Look at what we're told in Hebrews and see how it fits so accurately with Simeon's prophecy that we just saw in the blessing. The Word of God is living and active. Do you know what that means? That means this book is a powerful book. And when the Holy Spirit breathes on the book as it's read, and particularly when it's preached, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. I remember the story of Charles Haddon Spurgeon preaching. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the greatest Baptist preacher in history. And he was preaching one day in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he said these words. They they had people writing down everything he was saying. And that's why we can read Spurgeon's sermons today. He said, I don't know how I know this, but there's a man here today that has just stolen, and he named the amount of money, and God is dealing with your heart. I thought Baptists didn't believe in ongoing revelation from the Holy Spirit. Well, Charles Haddon Spurgeon did. And that is not that God is writing up. A 29th chapter to the book of Acts or a 23rd chapter to the book of Revelation. But the Holy Spirit still speaks through the Scriptures, applying the Scriptures in a practical way to people. That's why Simeon could hear that word from God. And so you know what happened when Spurgeon said that? A man began to cry out in the balcony. Sobbing and weeping, he was convicted because God's Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, in written form, the Bible, and in the spoken uh, Word, preaching from the Bible, is what? It is living. It is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I thought, I thought man was only two parts. Well... I'll say this, man is many parts. You know, there's a difference between joints and marrow, but it's all part of the body. And there's a difference between in the inner person between the soul and the spirit. The soul is basically the human mind. The human brain is part of the body. You can use the analogy of a computer. A computer has hardware and software. And so your brain is part of the hardware. It's, what you, it's why as you age, unfortunately for me, uh, your, your, your motherboard begins to have some problems and your active memory, your, your random access memory begins to deteriorate a little bit. It's because the brain is part of the body. But the mind, uh, synonymous with the word soul, the mind is like com- a computer program. And, and it contains memory, and it contains functions. And so even though the, the motherboard and the random access memory and all those things may deteriorate, the human mind continues on. Computer programs are forever. <laughs> Anyhow, and so it divides between the soul, which is the human mind, that's the inner person as it relates to this world, and the spirit, which is the inner person as it relates to heaven and above. So the Bible divides that. And the point is this. It's not to try to give us uh, a biblical anthropology here. It's about telling us what the Bible, when it's proclaimed, does. What does it do? Look at verse 13. He says... Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 
He says, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And if you knew something of the background of gladiators, what happens is when a gladiator defeats another gladiator, he's got him pinned to the ground. He takes his sword, if he's using a sword, or a trident, if he's, if he's carrying a net and, and a spear, and he stretches the man that's been defeated in the arena out makes him bend his head back and he's ready to thrust that sword through. And he looks to whoever the person in charge is, because there's always some government official over everything, and he looks to the person who's in charge to, to see what must I do. The point here is this. Paul takes that matter. I don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews takes that as a metaphor of what happens in preaching. You're sitting in a pew on December the 26th, 2021, near Robeson Road in Texarkana, Texas. And in the course of a sermon, suddenly you're like a defeated gladiator. And suddenly God's Word in Christ, in Scripture, and then a explained and applied by the power of the Holy Spirit in preaching has got you laid bare. And you begin to have thoughts that you don't have otherwise. And those thoughts take your mind back off. The, you know, it's good to have your mind wander in a sermon because sometimes your mind wanders in a sermon, not because you wonder if you're going to see that football game uh, at two o'clock this afternoon, but your mind wanders in a sermon because the Holy Spirit is taking God's written word and applying it to your heart and bringing to your memory something in your past that you and I, because I preach to myself, need to deal with. So don't worry about your mind wandering if it takes you back to something you need to deal with. And so he's saying everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that takes us back. And he says, not only does it divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it, in verse, uh, verse 12, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what? Paul could write of himself in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, I'm not aware of anything in my life that's displeasing God. But he said, that doesn't make me innocent. He said, what, makes, what, what I have to do is to wait until the Lord comes when he will reveal what's really gone on in my heart. And you know, that takes us back to reconciliation. I believe that in this life, there's no such thing as real and complete 100% reconciliation between anybody because none of us knows his own heart, her own heart, the way it really and truly is. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will then know, oh, Lord, how could I have said that to him? Lord, how could I have done that to her? Because then and only then will everything that's within us truly, fully, and absolutely be revealed. And that's why there will be a lot of tears shed at the judgment seat of Christ, even though none of the Lord's people will be lost. So that's the function of the Word of God. And that's what Simeon is saying if we turn back to Luke uh, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we see the rest of what he says. So he goes on on page 1592. And he's, he's told them there that Jesus is going to be a sign that will be spoken against 
verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And what is he meaning? Well, he's not speaking there of what God's Word does for all of us. He's speaking in a unique way to Mary, the virgin mother who gave birth to Jesus. Let's look at some of those sword piercings. Right there across the page, you can see uh, that Jesus, um, beginning in verse 41, we're not going to read the whole thing, I'm going to sum it up. The Lord Jesus had gone when he was 12 years old down to the temple. And this was a big festival, you see. They would travel that great distance in groups of people. They walked together. Some were on donkeys. Maybe some people were on camels. Kids enjoyed playing with each other. It was a lot of fun. They would go down uh, for the festivals at the Feast of Passover in this case. Now, what happens is they assume that Jesus is with his cousins. And they head back. And they've gone a whole day. And Joseph says to Mary, have you seen Jesus? Well, I think he's over there playing with, uh, with uh, Hephzibah and uh, Eliezer. And so they go over to check. No Jesus. Verse 44, thinking he was in their own company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find it, find him, they had to turn back. Have you ever left it something at home and you had to have it and you turn back? Wow, I've done that. Sometimes I'm really late because I forget. And so they turn back. But that's a whole day's journey. In other words, they've been a day. Now they go back a day. Then they've got yet another day. Now, I don't know what you would be like as you discover him. Uh, after three days, verse 46, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching anxiously for you. Do you think she said it that way? I think so. I think she said it like, son, why have you treated us like this? Have you ever felt that way about one of your children? Why have you treated us like this? Why have you done that to us? Now notice what he says in verse 49. And think about, would your reaction be to slap his face? Seriously. You've just told him, why have you treated us like that? And he says in verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Wow. Well, they didn't slap him. But they're astounded. And it says in verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And notice the next verse, 51, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Look at the next sentence. But his his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that when they discovered that the Lord Jesus was not with them after a day's journey from Jerusalem, that Mary began to have that sense of her heart being pierced? 
There's nothing like a mother's love. My daddy used to tell me, he said, boy, nobody will ever love you like your mother, which I interpret it say, you don't really love me, daddy. But no, there's something about a mother's love. And her heart's pierced there in, in, uh, when he's 12 years old. It's pierced. Now turn over a few verses to chapter 8. To chapter 8. And what do we discover? We see in this case... Um, Wait a minute, I had it written right down. Uh, anyhow, it was 8.12. No, it isn't. I, I apologize once again. Uh, but you know the story. And we can find it later. Oh yes, here it is, page 1606. It's chapter 8, verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting, wanting to see you. Now think about it. Here's a mother. They're beginning to think that Jesus has gone off the deep end. Now remember that Mary wasn't just automatically knowing everything in the world uh, with, when she gave birth to Jesus. So the stories have been told. Jesus is a maniac. He has mania. He's gone off the edge. He's, he's off the deep end. And so she gathers up her other children, and the, they go together. Jesus' brothers and his mother go to try to get him. Wouldn't you as a mother do that? If your boy you thought had just gone nuts, wouldn't you go get him? That's what they're doing. They come to see him. They weren't able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. You think they were told what he said? He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. What? That's your mama. You've just said that something's more important than your mama. You've just said that those who truly believe in you, those who are your disciples, are your mother and your brothers. Do you think that pierced her heart as a sword? I guarantee you it did. Jesus is repudiating his own mother and saying of his own mother, she's not yet a follower of mine. Think about it. Let it sink in. See, again, Bible characters don't see things because truth is caught rather than taught. She had not yet caught the truth of who Jesus is. But if we go to the very end, and we could go, I think, to John chapter 19, we go to the very end of Jesus' life, we see something very strange. And here it is. And... Um, Um, that's on page 1684. Now, I want you to see the sword. The final sword thrust to the Virgin Mary. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, John 19.25. His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby... He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. 
And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his disciples took her into his home. I want you to reflect with me for a moment. I want you to understand that at the point when Jesus is dying, the mother's heart is going out. Can you imagine what it would be like to have your child crucified by Romans? Do you know how cruel crucifixion was? How they nailed a person to a cross? How they left them hanging there for days on end? But in the Jewish custom, because they didn't want to curse, they had the bodies taken down before sundown. But they didn't do that with Jesus. The soldiers would go and break their shins. And when the shins broken, the person could no longer breathe because he could not support himself to take breaths. And that's why they died very quickly after their shins were broken. But they didn't in the case of Jesus. He'd already died because he gave up his spirit voluntarily to the Father. But I want you to think about for a moment, what is it like to watch your own blessed son, your firstborn child, the child that you saw was so special, and yet it's still a fog to you because truth is caught rather than taught. To watch him dying slowly, the blood coming out, his head crowned with thorns, and seeing him naked, ashamed on the cross, you're embarrassed for him. The sword is piercing your own heart. I'm sure in the thoughts of the Virgin Mary, she would say things like this. Lord, let me take his place. That's my baby boy. Please let me die in his place. Don't take him from me this way. It's piercing her soul. Now I want you to see something. Mary is not yet a disciple. And you see the love of Jesus for his mama on the cross. Because Jesus' brothers did not believe in him at that point. They only became believers after Jesus rose from the dead. And we have letters from two of his brothers. We have the epistle of Jude and the epistle of St. James. And so what is he doing? He wants to protect his mama. I'm sure that his legal father, Joseph, has been dead for some time at this point. But he entrusts Mary into the care of his most loving disciple, the Apostle John, that wrote these very words. Why? I don't want my mama to die and go to hell. You ever thought about it? He wanted his mother's faith to be nurtured. He wanted it to be cared for tenderly and cherished. He wanted this grieving widow who had not yet crossed over from faith, I mean from unbelief into true and lively faith, to be discipled by somebody he really trusted. He trusted John in a way more than he trusted Peter. Or John's brother, James, who was put to death by one of the Herods. He knew that the Apostle John, one of those sons of thunder, had a tender heart. And he knew that the Apostle John would do for his mama what nobody else would do. He would take her into his home. He would take care of her, not just make sure she had something to eat and a place to sleep, but he would take care of her, that he would pray for her, that he would nurture her, that he would lead her where she needed to go. And that's why when the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead, that Sunday morning very early, At that point, 
His mother begins to become a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. The sword of Simeon is a sword that pierces your heart and mine. But the sword of which Simeon spoke also is the sword that pierces the heart of a loving mother. But also a loving mother who is greatly loved by her son. Who puts her in the care of his most tender disciple, the Apostle John. And that's why when we read after Jesus' resurrection on the day of Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit came with power 50 days later, his mother's in the upper room. And so are his brothers. Because Jesus made sure Mama was going to be taken care of. May we pray. Lord, we pray for all of us as we ponder the Christmas story yet again the day after Christmas. Lord, would you give us to remember that Mary is not unique as suffering the trials of being a mother in this world. And yet, Lord, she is unique because she was the mother of the human nature of Jesus, who was also truly God. She was his mother, and she saw her own son being tortured to death. She's unique in that. But she's also uniquely loved by Jesus, for he loved her more than he loved anyone on earth, so far as we can tell. So much so that he placed her in the hands of his most loving disciple, so that his mother would go from a struggling person, wondering about her son, with all of the things that he did, his strange ways would finally come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, in a real and true and personal way. And Lord, would you grant that for all of us, that we would all know you, that we'd all be truly saved. Because if anyone illustrates any truth better than this, it's the Virgin Mary. We can have close fellowship with so many people. We can know all about somebody. We can love somebody tenderly and compassionately. And yet not yet have passed from darkness into light, from unbelief into a vibrant faith. May all of us here have that vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen.